it's like I've been saying for Halloween, you're not, you're not going to tell kids not to trick or treat. Kids are going to do it. So how are you going to do it safely? And I think that's the same thing with the holidays. People are going to get together. I hope they minimize the gatherings to stay safe. Welcome to the Rain Insights podcast on COVID-19. I'm Emily Donahue. In today's podcast, Rain founder David Lawrence catches up with Dr. Bill Lang and Dr. Fred Southwick about making safe plans for special events from Halloween to Thanksgiving and year-end holiday traditions. Let's listen in. Bill, Fred, again, uh, great privilege and honor get your insights, um, both in terms of this past week and a couple of weeks ahead. One of the most pressing questions is uh, for families is how to think about the holidays, uh, potentially how to celebrate the holidays in a safe way, and also uh, part and parcel that is um, many families have kids who are away at school and who will be returning. I thought I might be able to uh, get your best advice and guidance and recognizing it's still a fluid situation. But Fred, maybe uh, we'll start with you. And I know, Bill, you've been giving counsel to um, a wide range of clients on this precise point. But go ahead, Fred. Well, the holidays are are a very, very difficult challenge because we know that 80% of cases are spread within families. And the reason is families uh, will gather together, they will talk together, and they will be in closed spaces And the evidence is becoming increasingly uh, stronger that aerosol is the predominant way that this is spread. And aerosol is a gas that builds up in closed spaces. And the closer you are to somebody, the more of that you're likely to breathe in. And there have been a number of cases of family gatherings where one person was unknowingly was infected, an asymptomatic carrier, who then spread the aerosol and the entire family, virtually everyone in the family became infected. And in several cases, two or three people have died. So this is a very dangerous time. And it's interesting, uh, Canada has Thanksgiving earlier than the United States. And they they detected a dramatic uptick during their Thanksgiving holiday when Canadians got together as families. So I think that's a warning for us. Um, Large family gatherings are very dangerous unless you can have them outside because inside uh, is, is because of the danger of buildup of aerosol is very great. Now, another interesting thing, which uh, is of great concern, is that it turns out that the aerosol is uh, more effective, stays in the air longer. The virus survives longer in cold, dry environments. So when we were hot and humid, the aerosol was not as effective at transmitting the virus. And that that change in temperature and humidity is likely to explain the explosion of cases throughout the northern United States. And you seem to be suggesting, Fred, that uh, that cold, dry climate obviously could be could exist outdoors not just an indoor environment that is true but the good news is the aerosol will diffuse out and if there's any wind or air um, it's likely it'll be diluted away but uh, I just heard a research talk that used animal studies and aerosol for COVID uh, for SARS-CoV-2 and 
as few as five to ten particles aerosolized can kill ferret, a ferret. So that it's a very, uh, very effective at causing disease in, in, in animals and humans. Bill, I know you've provided counseling to a number of your corporate clients and their staff. And I know you have uh, adult children. You, know, you deal with uh, grandchildren issues as well. Uh, maybe you can share with us sort of not only the advice you're providing, but the advice you're following. Well, you know, I've been much more, I don't, I don't know the right word for it, but liberal about things up until now, because I felt like in so many places in the country that when families are getting together, especially if it doesn't involve uh, lots of travel, the rates have been generally low. That's not the case now. The, race, the rates are expanding. They're going up. They are, and then when you bring in Thanksgiving uh, and other holiday travel, you're mixing people from around the country. That, to me, is very concerning. I did just do a uh, uh, broadcast for all all of our patients in my organization, and what I said was, you really need to think about keeping your get family gatherings small this year, especially if you're talking about bringing people in from around the country um, because of just everything uh, that Fred was saying, that there's this is a very, very high-risk time, high-risk environment, um, and people are not going to be doing the, the mitigation tools that you would do, say, in an office environment. And that's the other thing. I would be much more comfortable with people being in an office environment. In offices, you can social distance. You can have very good commercial-grade ventilation with air exchanges. Homes don't have that. Home air exchanges are, are actually fairly low. So what I would recommend, though, because it's, it's like I've been saying for Halloween, you're not, you're not going to tell kids not to trick-or-treat. Kids are going to do it. So you have to, how are you going to do it safely? And I think that's the same thing with the holidays. People are going to get together. Families are going to get together. I hope they minimize the gatherings, but what can you do to stay safe? You can open windows and doors. Yep, the weather may have problems with that, but there are things that you can do to, to mitigate that. A fireplace, uh, fireplace warms it up, but a fireplace also moves lots and lots of air because the, the heat exchange through the, the chimney is bringing in air um, from the outside through all the cracks and crevices in a house. So that's going to be um, increasing your air circulation. Anything you can do to increase air exchanges Air movement, uh, but air movement with the exchanges are what's going to be so important. Those are the things that you could do to mitigate. There is some evidence that air purifiers may help. Um, initially, through all this, the uh, ASHRAE, the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, Air Conditioning Engineers, they, they poo-pooed the idea of, uh, of HEPA filter air purifiers to some extent, but more recently, they've been saying if you've got an environment where you cannot be doing the number of air exchanges that you should do, that's something that may decrease the risk because it will decrease the the uh, density of the aerosols. So um, I think you have to think about what can you do to reduce the gatherings, but if you're going to have the gatherings, what can you do to reduce the risk? Based on questions we've been receiving it's one thing to cancel an extended family gathering. It's another to break up an immediate or nuclear family for the holidays. And what I'm hearing you say, Bill, is that if those gatherings come together, 
there are at least some things you can do to minimize the risks. And part of that is in terms of some of the equipment you might want to deploy in your house, air circulation, etc. Fred, I know you've had a focus on testing. Are there certain things that families should be doing to identify? You're going to have kids returning from colleges and, and other schools. You're going to have kids who have been attending school, including very, very young children. Simple, direct precautions that a family can employ to not eliminate the risk, but minimize it. Yeah, well, the first thing is the least expensive and technically simple is for everyone to check their temperature twice per day. If anyone has a rise in their body temperature of one degree centigrade or 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit, they should stay away from everybody. That's the first. Second, if you can get access to the antigen tests, uh, all of the antigen tests with their degree of sensitivity and specificity under the, as long as there isn't a high prevalence in the area you're in, in other words, a high percentage of cases, um, will, if it's negative, you've got a very high likelihood that those individuals are not infected. So those are additional screen methods for screening out those that might be uh, carriers and who might be super spreaders. The big worry is there's a window of probably about five days, two days before, and three days into symptoms where the amount of virus in the nasal passages and upper airways is exceedingly high. It can be a billion to a trillion viral particles per ml. Under those circumstances, those individuals could infect up to 30 to 50 individuals under the right circumstances. So you'd like to identify anyone that might be a super spreader and keep them out of the environment if possible. I'm not real comfortable with using testing for clearance uh, because when you test, all it's testing, do you have viral particles there or not? And the problem is that the next day you may reach the threshold. So, so a test, if you've got a single event and you're going to be testing people right before that event and you, and you can do it with a rapid test, that's helpful because it is telling you that you probably do not have have high levels for that single event. But the problem is couple couple of full with the problem. One is they're hard to get. You can't, those tests are not, not easy to get. And if you do a test that you have to mail off, um, like the saliva tests, for example, which are not antigen, but PCR tests, the best you're going to get on that is next day, but most likely, even with the rates increasing, is two days later. By that time, you've missed the window where someone is asymptomatic and yet still could be shedding at very high levels. So um, it's, it is very difficult. Testing is, if you can get a same-day antigen test, um, that's great. But I'm, I'm having trouble for my, my patients getting those. I, Bill, I couldn't agree more. And that's the problem. The accessibility is not there. And it has to be testing right before the event and not a couple days later because the, the either you could be in a very early uh, phase where and then the virus will build up very rapidly. It, and within one to th- about three days, you get high viral concentrations where you're highly infectious after exposure. So if you're testing at the wrong time, you would miss it. So I agree completely. It's it's very very it's a very difficult situation. Uh, beyond these good points, uh, Fred and Bill, we've seen play out in the last week or two, particularly in the professional sports leagues, 
the notion of false positives and the notion of false negatives around these tests. Also, while uh, there are there's some over-the-counter availability for families to acquire these tests, I think Costco was advertising a test at about $129. Um, and just some thoughts about whether you know families should be even trying to do this on their own as opposed to going to uh, their medical provider, city or state services, etc. I'm dealing with this every day, and I try to talk people again. I try to talk people out of using using these tests uh, for clearance. But as we know, many states and and countries are saying one of the ways that you can get out of quarantine. Um, when you come in from somewhere with a higher level is to have a test. And so they're, they're, again, they're using these tests for clearance. And I'm not just, I'm not all that excited about that. But um, if you're in that situation uh, and you need to get a test, and even if you think you may have symptoms and need, and need to get a test, some of these mail-off saliva tests are actually working out faster than getting the, the formal testing uh, and the, the data is is starting to show that these saliva tests are reasonable. That's one I'd like Fred to comment a little bit more on is the saliva tests versus the, the swab tests. But the turnaround time, we're, we're doing these fairly regularly for people who need them for travel and things like that. And on most of them, we're getting turnaround time of day after FedEx or UPS or whatever express mail service you want to use. And um, we're getting them the day or two after mailing. And that's typically showing up faster than getting a formal PCR through a lab-based service. With regards to saliva, I, I, the evidence from Yale is quite good. And that is that the sensitivity and is uh, equivalent to the nasopharyngeal swab. And in some cases, they got a positive with the saliva and a negative with nasopharyngeal swab. Now, I've heard from through the grapevine that it's always the case. The initial reports make it sound like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And subsequently, some people claim that it's a lower sensitivity. I don't really know at this point. I would think that uh, because you're really spreading it through the saliva, that actually a saliva test would be a better reflection of infectiousness than any other method. And uh, you don't, it doesn't take as much processing time and you don't have to have special uh, buffers. So I, I'm very much in favor of the saliva test for PCR. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that because I've been, I've been encouraging the use of them because uh, that's what I, everything you said is what I've been reading about them. And I assume you guys are continuing to urge families to keep their masks on uh, when they go out and uh, also to continue to wash their hands religiously throughout the day. So I've, along those lines, I'd like to tell a, just a, a quick story. Um, my wife and I went to dinner uh, earlier this week and outdoors, well socially distanced from everybody, but distant from us, but in the same outdoor eating area was a group of about 15 or 16, 20-somethings. No one with masks, everybody laughing, watching a football game, they're cheering. And um, one of them came by, and again, at a socially distant, appropriately distant um, uh, area, I asked him, what are y'all's thoughts? And we, we talked a little bit, so it wasn't inappropriate. And I said, what are y'all, why are you all doing this and not, and not wearing masks and, and getting all together in large groups? And he said, 
all of our friends are getting this and no one's getting sick, so we don't care anymore. But uh-oh, that's exactly what's happening is people are, they're not seeing the people who are getting sick because the people who are getting sick, yes, they, they tend to be in the more at-risk age groups, but also once they're sick, you don't see them. What they're seeing is the people who are around them who aren't getting sick, so they think, oh, this is no big deal. So people are letting their guard down, and I think that's one of the big things that's contributing to the increased rates that we're seeing. That and the, the three things, the change in weather, people who are letting their guard down, and what we saw late summer and the early fall has been travel. People are getting wanderlust, and they are traveling all over. All right, and as uh, we have noted, uh, there's obviously the biological aspect to this virus, but also the behavioral I know everyone's focused on the election, but as you guys look out over the next week, two weeks, as we do head into the holiday season, what is the data telling you? And is it uh, telling you the same things in all places or are there specific lessons that uh, people should be gleaning? Well, I, I, I think it's very, the future is very frightening right now because of the change in temperature, the dryness, the aerosols are going to be more infectious um, one, there was one really interesting, two interesting pieces of data, uh, North Dakota, North Dakota has some, had some of the highest prevalences of disease ever reported in the world, uh, up in the 120, 150 per hundred thousand, uh, new cases per day. And yet that, that society, uh, the state of North Dakota refuses to wear masks. So this just further amplifies and proves the, the what happens when you don't use masks. Now, there was another uh, uh, episode in Kansas where uh, the there was a actual mandate for masks, but each county could decide whether or not they would enforce it. And they looked at 20 counties that did enforce it versus 20 that didn't. The difference in infectious rate was over 50% reduction in those that use masks. Therefore, masks are very, very important, and we should be using them uh, whenever we go out. And if there's any question about uh, an individual that might be infectious, both that, that person and the person they're talking to should wear masks. Anticipating, I'm not asking you guys to take a political position, but if there is a change of administration's uh, do you see a shift in public policy in dealing with the virus? One of the things is going to be the administration doesn't change no matter what happens. Even if, if uh, um, Biden wins, it's another three, say, October, November, December, January. Approximately three months. Approximately. Three months. Yeah. And at the three-month point, we're, I think, and Fred may have a different opinion, I think we're going to start having vaccine available in quantity right around that time. So there's going to be the, the landscape is going to be changing to some extent at that point. But what we have heard is there will be greater emphasis on uh, mask mandates, but the federal government does not have the authority to mandate masks at the at local and state levels. That's a state police power function. And the federal it's well established that the federal government can't do that. But what the federal government can do is use the bully pulpit of the of the president um, and and various agencies to push harder 
on mask wearing and push the states to encourage it. So I think that's one thing we would see. There's also been a lot of talk of uh, potentially use of the Defense Production Act to essentially force industry to increase the production rate on testing. That's been one of the big things that's been discussed over the past couple of weeks. But on the, the other side of that is industry is saying, we're already maxed out. It's not like we're making something else. Uh, and there are other health items that we can't stop making. Um, just yesterday, uh, it was announced that uh, major vaccine manufacturers are stopping the production of typhoid vaccine um, and cholera vaccine around the world, period. They're just stopping it because they want to use their, for two reasons. One is they want to use their vaccine manufacturing capability for uh, COVID vaccines when it's ready. And the other is that people aren't traveling as much. But still, there is only so much capacity for manufacturing. So, Fred, your thoughts? Yeah, with, with regards to the change in administration, uh, the Biden uh, campaign has said over and over, we will listen to the science. And for reasons I don't understand, uh, this administration has actually pushed up against it. As a consequence, the CDC, which is really was the gem of all epidemiologic public health groups in the world, has not been able to set standards. Every state reports their COVID-19 cases in a different way. This makes it impossible to compare different states what's going on. It makes it impossible to decide what the public health uh, response should be. And so I, I think it's very important that all politicians follow the science. We have a very robust knowledge base and understanding of how to prevent the spread of infection. And unfortunately, that evidence has been ignored. Perhaps most importantly, I'm going to reiterate what you guys have said before, uh, but I don't think you can repeat it too much. The importance of mask wearing, the importance of social distancing, the importance of uh, monitoring your own body and well-being for symptoms as well as those of the loved ones. Simple acts such as taking temperatures and listening to health officials in the local area, washing one's hands, and uh, taking the flu shot. Have I left anything out, guys? That's it. I agree completely. Okay. Perfect. All right. As always, uh, broadly, we're appreciative for you spending valuable time with us and look forward to our next conversation. And uh, we'll continue to post through the Rain Network uh, updates. But Fred, as always, Bill, thank you again. Thank you, David. Take care, David. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. If you like what you heard today and would like to learn more, visit rainnetwork.com slash join. That's R-A-N-E network, all one word, dot com slash join. I'm Emily Donahue. See you next time. <laughs>